0: Welcome to Black Health Matters. Uh, my name is Harlan. Uh, I'm glad that y'all joined us again. Spend a couple of minutes with us today. Get your tissue uh, because <laughs> today is not, this is, I, I'm hoping we can tie up some of the issues that I've been having lately. Mm-hmm. St. Louis has been plagued with um, some really terrible incidents of violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been we've been struggling with our mm-hmm. schools, um, Most people know that we had this recent school shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, But even even beyond that shooting, which we could spend weeks talking about all of those kids who've been impacted. We talk about the three people who died, Mm -hmm. but not all of the survivors. Right and the harm that they're facing. Mm -hmm. But even before that incident, we've got kids fighting in schools, high schools in this area, more than we've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. The fight culture is just ridiculous.
1: Trauma response.
0: So we're going to get into that today. So um, uh, get your tissue because it's going to be a hard conversation. Uh, We've got one of my favorite people in St. Louis. This is this is uh, we got famous people on the podcast now. You know what I mean? (laughs) So we've got poet, writer, speaker, advocate. Ms. Shiraz Gorman, uh, today. Um, And and it's so good to just reconnect with you. We've been having a beautiful conversation uh, already about her work and the work that she's doing. Uh, Welcome to Black Health Matters,
1: Ms. Shiraz Gorman. Thank you for having me.
0: It's good to be with you. Good to be with you. So I introduce you with a couple of different titles, right? Yeah. And it's hard to put... Uh, people like us in a box, I'm going to clue myself with you, like I'm, I'm on your level, you know, and people will ask, like, what do you do? If Mm -hmm. somebody asks you that, it used to freak me out when people say, well, what do you do? I'll be trying to figure out what do you say when people say, well, what do you do?
1: I tell them that my life, um, has different angles. One angle is the artist and poet. Because for me, that's the most important angle, because that is the through line to everything that I do. And then I tell them I'm an ad industry executive, 22 years deep in it. I am also the founder and executive director of Sibling Support Network, where I work with people who have lost either a blood-related or a fictive kin sibling to a violent crime. I also do spiritual care and chaplaincy work um, at The T, which is a therapeutic and clinical space that serve people who have bullet-related injury And also people who are working through and living through their opiate addiction. Um, I'm also an avid scotch drinker and (laughs) house music lover. It's Mm. like, and I will go and hold down a dance floor. So it's like my life is in several different parts, but the through line for me is that everything is rooted in love.
0: Yeah, I love it. So let's let's depart and then come back. Okay. Um, you said a, a term I hadn't heard before, Blacktronica. Yes. What is Blacktronica?
1: So um, in our conversation earlier, when I was speaking about my friend who is a professor at UCSD, uh, which is the University of California, California San Diego, um, King James Brit originally from Philadelphia, he was the fourth member of the Diggable Planets. Um, also one of the pioneers of the music form drum and bass, but DJ, producer, artist, educator, right? Um, when he took this role with UCSD, he I mean, he's an electronic music. So yeah. it's like, He's always been what we consider people who are like speculative or like Afrofuturist like. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So he created this class called Blacktronica because I mean, in the last I want to say about 10 years, there was a lot of electronic music being pushed out and produced and Mm -hmm. making it into the mainstream that everybody was associating with Europe. And it was like, ah, stop, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. Techno comes from Detroit, right? One of the main just innovators when it comes to electronic music is Stevie Wonder Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Herbie Hancock. (laughs) Like, let's let's start, and he can even go much deeper, you know, with folks, since that is his lane, Mm -hmm. you know? So... The class grew from, I think, over 40 people attending it in the first year. He now has over 300 students in this class. I love it. And it grew into a festival. So this year was, you know, year one, round one of the Blacktronica Festival.
0: Mm. So... Where is this happening?
1: Um, it was at UCSD's campus. UCSD? Uh huh. It was in San Uni- Diego.
0: Okay, University of California, San Diego. Yeah. Got it.
1: Yeah, it was there. And then it was in LA <laughs> the next day uh-huh. um, at the Mocha. So I'm one of those people. I love seeing my friends win. Yeah. I love seeing them have a dream and continuously work at it mm-hmm. and then just allow it to be
0: and to breathe. I love it. Now right? tell me this brother's name again. King James Britt. Love it. So I need to be there. And that is his real name. I ran into, I ran <laughs> I ran into, I met, uh, I guess what they call drum and bass music. Mm-hmm. I happened, I just, I was doing some kind of conference in San Francisco. hmm -hmm and every place you would go you'd hear his music that was resonating with my soul mm. right And it was a healing and transformative mm-hmm. experience through music yeah and so I am I, it gave me permission to feel and just to be who I am. So when you say, Avid music listener and dancer, those two come together. You cannot appreciate music if you don't dance to it.
1: Well, and that's part of my my regiment when it comes to self-care and how I heal myself. I always say some people go to church. I hit the dance floor. You know, that's where God and I, that's where my ancestors and I, that's where we convene. And that's where I give my praise. Mm. So
0: Love it, love it. So um, as we lean into this a little bit, tell us a little bit about your history, kind of how you use your voice and poetry uh, to not only heal yourself, but to heal others. But tell us about, give us this origin, Uh, Mm -hmm. give us a little bit of this backstory.
1: So the origin story of me as a writer Because that is what came first. Actually going through my family's vinyl collection. Folks would be outside. I would be sitting down, vinyl open, listening to songs, reading. What I came to learn was liner notes. Mm -hmm. And I would go back and I would write my version of what I thought was a song, (laughs) right? And my mom found some stuff that I was writing and she was like, do you know what you're writing? And I was like, well, I'm writing like how Stevie Wonder sings because for me, that is, the artist and poet and songwriter he's it that's it that really set the tone for me
0: he's a standard
1: yeah I mean he is hands down yeah when it comes to our book of American standards I mean Stevie Wonder's catalog needs to be a part of that you know so that's how it actually started for Mm -hmm. me and then my mom um One year, I cannot remember what year this was. It was at some point in the 80s, but my mom took me to the Black Expo and she had this book titled Racism 101 by this writer and poet named Nikki Giovanni. And my mom was like, grab your book. And I remember us going to the Black Expo and we were walking down the corridor and I'm looking at the back of the book And I'm looking down and I'm like, oh, my God, that's the woman on the back of the book. So I meet Nikki Giovanni. She signs my book. And she was intrigued because she's like, you're kind of young to be reading this book. And my mom was like, but I feel like it's necessary for her to have it. So that just kind of. That's even a very interesting full circle moment for me because my first published book in the midst of loving came out in 2015. There are three people who are quoted on the back of my book. Shirley Bradley LaFleur, the late Shirley Bradley LaFleur, the first woman poet laureate of St. Louis. Michael Castro, Dr. Michael Castro, who was the first poet laureate of St. Louis, and Nikki Giovanni. So, and if we want to take it even further back, as far as an origin story that kind of had nothing to do with me, is that my name, my father had a vision, and my name, Shiraz, is the Persian capital of poetry in Iran. So be careful what you bring your children. <laughs> so, but I'm I'm super grateful that my father had that vision that he actually won the coin toss. My parents had a coin toss to name me because it was getting kind of to a knockdown, drag out situation, mm. right? And somehow they decided to do a coin toss, you know, and my father
0: Won that yes. He that one. Won that one. Yeah. You it's I would imagine uh that most conversations, because most of the conversations we've had have been uh immediately family rich. I feel like I know more of your family than I know my own family,
1: <laughs> Right.
0: And it's uh it's apparent that those folks have been mm-hmm. uh, a part of your development. Yes. You can't, can't know you without understanding that you're a product of a, a mm-hmm. large community, and so I want to, yeah. I want, I want to acknowledge that
1: mm-hmm.
0: connection, mm-hmm. that that lineage, mm-hmm. uh, both blood and this this assumptive kinship that mm-hmm. we have, because our family is our family. We don't get to say it as yeah. blood and no, our family is our family, right? Um, but I also know that part of your motivation mm-hmm. uh, for the work that you do is um, influenced by loss in that family. Yeah. So I wanna lean into that a little bit. And yeah. so you can help us understand uh, that part mm-hmm. of your work.
1: Yeah, the 90s were tough. The 90s were tough. Um, because not only was my immediate family impacted by violence, my communal family was impacted by violence. I grew up in a neighborhood here in St. Louis um, called College Hill. The, the symbol for that neighborhood is the White Tower right off of Grant. Um, I grew up on Gaino and West fluorescent. I attended Bryan Hill Elementary School, um, and I distinctly remember—I think it was around like '87 when I first start hearing gunshots in our neighborhood, and it was something that was very foreign. And it was like, whoa, what is that? And as I got older, you know, hindsight, that's the onset of the quote unquote war on drugs and the infiltration of the underground drug economy. And, you know, no family in our neighborhood escaped the impacts and the residuals of that. However, it was the 90s that friends are getting shot, like people who I'm growing up with. Um, Derek Cromer was my first love, crush. I heard the 13 gunshots that took his life. Didn't know that those shots meant the end of him until I woke up the next morning and found out. And I've been an athlete my entire life. And I just remember taking all of my medals over to his brother Marvin at the house because Derek was killed on his front porch. And I was just like, put these medals in his casket because I just felt like if I can pinpoint a moment where all innocence was lost in my life, it was that moment. Where it was like, whatever this energy is, it's going to tear us apart. Now, mind you, there were a lot of different social factors that were at play and that are still at play that I think that we don't acknowledge to its fullest extent. And what I mean by that is that when you start incarcerating grandparents and parents, The children are going to feel the impact of that Mm -hmm. because incarceration not only strips you of that family connection, it strips you financially, it strips you emotionally, and God only knows what it is doing to the incarcerated person. So we got that element. Which then just, you know, byproduct, that's leading into poverty.
0: Just that, that creates its own cycle.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: And then this defunding of public education and the desegregation program. So you have this sprawl out of the community of children literally... Brian Hill Elementary, I could walk right across the street and go to school. Mm-hmm. Fifth grade, I'm being bused out mm-hmm. to Kirkwood, waking up at an ungodly hour for a child.
0: Yeah, I was a victim of the uh, DSEG experiment myself. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So when Derek was killed, it was just, it just felt relentless my brother Javon was killed wasn't even home six weeks from Kuwait that was jarring because that was my father's oldest son and we all had just met each other so it was this feeling of we don't get to have a life together now you know, and How the stripping of that. when
0: Javon was killed? I was in
1: high school. That was 93. Mm. Yeah. So I'm um, at that time, I think I was 15. Yeah. 15 years old. Mm-hmm. First sibling is killed. Now, mind you, there's still stuff happening in the
0: neighborhood. Oh, yeah. As well. Did you did? <sighs> After your friend mm-hmm. was killed, what what was the response for you? Mm-hmm. You obviously were traumatized by that. Yeah. Um, how did the community respond to that and all of these other young people who were friends of his?
1: What I recall was that we mourned for a little bit and then life continued. For me, how I dealt with it is that sports became my life. That was it. And I was doing pretty good academically, but after losing Derek and my brother, just I kind of fell off the radar. You know, and what was interesting is that my counselor, nobody had enough insight on how to help me. They were trying to figure out, like, what happened. Like, you're you're a brilliant kid and, you know, but you're just detaching now and you don't want to try. You're smart. And um, I couldn't even articulate it Mm -hmm. at the time. Right. But. There was, there was nothing to support that.
0: So by the time you're 15 years old, mm-hmm. um, you have had two very close people mm-hmm. to you killed by gun violence.
1: But yeah, by the time I was 16.
0: By the time that you're 16. Yeah. And you haven't received any formal therapy or counseling at this point. No. And it doesn't stop. No.
1: Because my next to oldest brother, Theo, um, was shot when we were teenagers. So not only am I losing people to homicide, now I'm a sister to, you know, an injured teenager. And I'm watching my mother become a trauma nurse in the house. And I've recently started to reflect on how that impacted me because I've never sat with it Mm -hmm. until I got into the line of work that I'm currently in. And I was like, there was a part of me that just said, this is life. This is a part of life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and these are the challenges and things that you have to deal with in
0: life. Like, this is normal, like, that's 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 the part that really uh disturbs me. Not yeah.
1: necessarily that it's normal, uh-huh. but this is what life has introduced to us, so we got some choices to make. And the choice is, is that you got to make sure that the wounds are taken care of the physical wounds, Mm. but there was no conversation around the emotional wound, the mental wound, the spiritual wound, Um. right? So yeah, not normalized, not by any stretch. But just saying, okay, now how do we deal with this? How do we process yeah. this? But just the physical part of the processing,
0: yep. right? So, as I listen to your story, I uh, I think about the compounding effects of decades of this experience mm-hmm. for hundreds and thousands of young yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Um. And the, I believe in restorative practice, right? Mm-hmm. One is because we have these harms that happen. And when we don't deal with them, they become one thing becomes two. Right. And it, we continue to have more and more yeah. uh, compounded harm. Mm-hmm. And today, when we look at it, we say, how in the world did we get here?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? It didn't happen overnight. Uh-uh. It goes back. I mean, we, we realize that this is out of neglect. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, like, what can we do now at this point? And uh, that's, that's why I'm so excited for you to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we talk about black health matters. And the first thing people think about is like this physical work. Right. Because I'm I'm a runner, a bike, swim, Mm -hmm. you know, as hiking stuff. We love all of that stuff. But we wanted to spend some time talking about this other part of our Mm well-being that is often neglected, but is a priority for the young people uh, that we serve. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I want you to tell us about this part of your journey now. Yeah in addressing these harms, you're doing some work. What do we call in this work? This is survivors <laughs> of gunshot. Hey, tell me what do we what do we call us?
1: Yes. Yeah, so Dr. L.J. Punch, who is the medical director, yeah,
0: we love Dr. Punch of the T. Yeah.
1: Um, he has identified something that we need to really push hard on, mm. and that is guns are not the issue, bullets are the issue. Bullets are the things that are doing the damage, right? Because as a person who is on both sides of the coin, and what I mean by that, I have lost multiple siblings to homicide. And I have had siblings, cousin, fictive kin folks who are survivors of bullet-related injury. And that bullet just does not impact the person who has been shot physically, metaphorically, energetically, spiritually, all of us get hit by the trajectory of that material. So the work that I currently do um, is around assisting people who are surviving a bullet related injury. So that includes the person with the physical injury, but everyone surrounding them, because by definition, by definition at the bullet related injury clinic is what I just expressed is that that bullet penetrates everybody within the family, within the community. So all of us have some healing to do mentally, spiritually, emotionally, energetically, right?
0: So. You are uh, engaging in some uh, pretty incredible research around these, the impact of, of this work. I, I don't know if anybody has even delved into uh, this <laughs> layer of healing. Tell us a little bit about that research.
1: So the research that I am conducting through sibling support network. It's a survey called the loss of sibling to violent crime. So this is the first survey ever of its kind to measure the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual and financial impacts of losing Mm. either a blood related or fictive kin sibling to a violent crime.
0: What? Yeah. So, You added financial in there. Yes. We haven't even begun to talk about the financial (laughs) loss. Tell us, give us some insight to that.
1: The insight came from my own lived experience, and I wanted to see who else it impacted. So when my baby brother John was killed in 2013, um, August 14th of 2013 to be exact, At the time I was creative director and curriculum director of a nonprofit called the Marcus Graham project based out of Dallas, Texas, where we train young professionals of color to be in the ad industry, specifically young African American professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, and when my brother was killed, that hit me financially because flying back home from New York, funeral arrangements. Mm -hmm. I had to relocate my life from Portland, Oregon, back to St. Louis on my own dime. Mm -hmm. And then not being able to work Mm -hmm. because the mental and emotional and spiritual impact of losing my brother. Oh, I was I was trying, I tell people like, when I look back at that, that period in my life, I'm like, that ain't nothing but God and family on oh, how, how, how I even did it, mm-hmm. you know? And it got to the point because my plan was, because thankfully um, we had a trial for the young man who took my brother's life. My brother lost his life um, defending a young woman. And thankfully, she survived the attack. His friends, her friends survived the attack. So they were able to take the stand to testify, etc. And I'll tell anybody, seeing my brother in a casket is one thing being in a courtroom with the person that took my brother's life, total out of body experience. Cause I don't know if I was detached or just hyper present, mm. right? <laughs> I think it was a, a mix of you know vacillating mm. between that, right? And I was not well after the trial Even though I'm really back My brother hadn't even been gone A month I don't think Do you know I was back in New York Moderating a panel during Ad week for the one club
0: Cause that's the stuff that we have to do
1: Exactly
0: Yeah you have to mourn and go back to work
1: And Thankfully I was with my homeboy Kenny who had lost his brother to cancer, his twin brother at that, lost him to cancer. And we were at this you know, beautiful spot in Harlem that we like to go to, because he was talking to me about the new normal, right? What is life like without mm-hmm. your sibling? And it was at that moment that I was like, and I said it out my mouth, I was like, Kenny, all sibling loss is not equal. I was like, you got to be with your brother. You got to see that process. My brother got taken in the blink of an eye. And I don't know what to do. And I just broke down crying in the restaurant. And I love black people in Harlem. Because it was a brother who was sitting next to us, an older gentleman, and he was like, sister, it's all right. Get it out. He's like, you ain't got to hold that in. And, you know, none of us don't feel no way about it. And that's what planted. That was the moment that planted the seed for the research. Mm -hmm. And also me looking for support for myself. Mm -hmm. And realizing that there was no, um, no support systems for people who had lost. They're siblings to a violent crime. Now you look at cancer, it's a sibling sure. group for every, every, every type of cancer yep. you can think of, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. And I was like, how? This is so pervasive, but there's nothing, mm-hmm. right? So for me, I didn't want to be a focus group of one. And that actually comes from my advertising background, Mm -hmm. being a brand strategist as well. Mm -hmm. It was like, no, I don't want to be a focus group of one. So I need to go learn how to create this instrument to actually measure this impact. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, to your question, the reason why I included the financial piece is because, oh, my goodness, it tore me up financially. Yep.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's best part. That's part of my story, and Mm -hmm. and people don't realize how devastating sickness and death can be to individuals financially, especially those very close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, I I started writing something a little while ago and eventually maybe I'll publish it. But it is mm-hmm. it is actually helping people understand the burden that falls upon uh, the surviving spouse mm-hmm. or those siblings that are left behind the primary care provider mm-hmm. and the what they have to go through. Mm-hmm. Many times their lives are on hold. Oh,
1: yeah. Because when we talk about things being compounded, Mm -hmm. my grandmother, my dad's mom, Mm -hmm. took her last breath on May 9th, 2013. Three months later, I lose my brother. Mm. So I had to take care of a lot of things financially, just traveling from like St. Louis Mm -hmm. to Mobile, Mm -hmm. Alabama. You know, to take care of my grandmother, to be with her in Mm -hmm, her final mm -hmm. moments and to see her through. So in three months. Then having to relocate myself from the Pacific Northwest back to the Midwest. Yes, it was like. And this is your. These are
0: these are your primary earning years, right? and building years when you're going through this work, right? Yeah, and this stuff impacts you in your 20s and 30s, while everybody else is, is moving on and doing all Mm -hmm. these things, you're, you're not investing in yourself, you're investing in others. Mm -hmm. Right? And so it does. And so I applaud you for for looking at that, that piece of the work, um, because it has to be done. That is another part of the harm. in our last couple of moments that we have, I want, I want to talk about the things that we should be doing right now with mm-hmm. young people who are victims of, of this bullet culture mm-hmm. that we've created. Yeah. Talk to me. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned that I, I'd love for us to lean into is this idea of healing communities. right? You mm-hmm. found a community, uh, mm-hmm. even uh, though it was in a restaurant in Harlem, one of the beautiful mm-hmm. things that happens is when black folks come together, we feel mm-hmm. each other's pain. Yeah. We lean into each other mm-hmm. and we, we create that that support system, our friends at Alive and Well through mm-hmm. um, 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 Mental Health First Aid have helped us understand yeah. that we might not be able to access a, a professional counselor, licensed right. clinical social worker or a therapist, but we can create, and it might be in our best interest to create healing communities yeah. uh, for us. What, what, how do we do that?
1: The first step for me is about listening and not just surface level listening, like open heart, open body listening and resisting the urge to want to fix the pain and also resisting the urge to shut it down Because how many times have we heard people say, you know, stop crying. You're going to make me cry. Or they go to scripture and say that God gives us, God does not give you the spirit of fear. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to be victorious in this. Or some people just don't want to make time for it at all. And what
0: they're saying is just get over it. Exactly. In really nice ways.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. So resisting the urge to shut each other down is so necessary. And actually, I'll really back a little bit. We got to check in with ourselves to start and not only acknowledge it, but really go into it and wake it back up no matter how much it hurts. Mm. Wake it back up. See it. Because, and I'll use myself as an example, how I had to shake myself out of numbness, I had to cry about it. My socialization for me is kind of interesting because I was raised amongst a lot of my male cousins. Like our family had this weird pattern going on where my cousin Danielle was born, I think eight or nine years later then I came along. And then seven or eight years later, my cousin Dominique came along and here I am in the middle with all the guys. So, a lot of the messaging mm-hmm. that my brother and my guy cousins got, I got. Yeah. So, ain't nothing wrong with you. Stop crying. Yep. Suck it up, right? So, I had to wake that part of me back up and to say, you know what? You are a whole human being. Yeah. So you deserve to have a full range of Of emotions. emotions. Yes. And it's okay that this hurts. Yeah. It should hurt that your brother was killed right after y'all just met and you did not get a chance to have that relationship. It is not okay that Derek was killed on his front porch It is not okay that your baby brother went over to a friend's house to calm her down because her ex who was stalking her was in the neighborhood and broke into the house and shot everybody he could. Yes, that hurts. It also hurt to see Theo when you all were teenagers. It hurt to see Him being uncomfortable, him crying, the wound dressings, the hole through his leg. That hurts. And it's okay to be with that hurt. It's okay to acknowledge it, to let it go. It's okay that it hurts that you saw your cousin Pep the day he was killed. And that you wanted to say, I love you, but you didn't. Because you felt like you didn't want to interrupt him while he was on the phone. And you didn't know you were gonna get a call that night with your Aunt Cookie asking you, where's your mother? They didn't kill my baby. It's okay to feel the pain of regretting telling your cousin that you love him the day he was killed because you did not know he was not going to come home that night. I had to go back into each one of those instances. And also the psychic impact of hearing gunshots. For me, that is one of the most damaging things for us as a community. Where just the sound, hearing these things at night, when your body and your mind and your spirit is supposed to be resting and you know ramping down from the day and going into a phase of you know sleep, so you can actually heal, Um, I had to just acknowledge all of that and wake that up for myself.
0: So I um, I am understanding in this conversation that it is if you. That your own healing will allow you um, to support somebody else in theirs Mm -hmm. and that it is a slow process. It's a journey. Yes. And I don't know if it ever ends. Right. We just keep, we just keep walking that. And I appreciate you uh, taking some time to walk with us on this today. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing, Shiraz. (laughs) Thank you. It is, it is so important and you're a great model for how to do that. Um, I hope uh, that each of, of the folks that have spent this time with us can really see what's happening in your heart. Thank you. Right, you you really shared a lot with us today, and I appreciate it. Um, thanks for joining us in Black Health Matters. Uh, take care of yourself. Do your own healing. Um, do your work, and who knows who will be blessed uh, in your process. Uh, but. Uh, Uh, I'm going to take some time, go back and listen to all the things that you said, um, because I think this is important. Um, Thanks for being with us. Uh, Listen, I got this little thing, Shiraz, (laughs) that I I say I think is really important. I want you to eat well. I want you to live well. I want you to perform well. But here's a better way of saying it. Eat love. Mm -hmm. Shit flowers. (laughs) Run like a Tesla. No gas. Hey, thanks for being with us. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you.